This e-multiple sclerosis review podcast is presented by DKP Med Radio. So I would start by reviewing the MS-related risk factors that she has that could increase her risk of COVID-19. And that includes her ongoing treatment or recent history with anti-CD20 therapy, as well as her high disability, which is a a risk factor for worse COVID-19 outcomes. MS and the COVID-19 vaccine. What do we know and what should we do about it? Welcome to E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. Mass vaccination in the U.S. has greatly reduced the morbidity and mortality of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. But vaccination for many people with MS isn't as simple as making an appointment and rolling up a sleeve. Which DMT can affect the vaccine's efficacy? Should clinicians look to change therapies that are currently working? How should they explain things to their patients to ensure informed choice? That's what we're here to talk about today. Our guest is Dr. Joseph Sabatino from the Department of Neurology at the University of California, San Francisco. For Dr. Sabatino's disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, eMultipleSclerosisReview.org, and select the Volume 4, Issue 2 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of eMultiple Sclerosis Review. Dr. Sabatino, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. And to all our listeners, Welcome to Volume 4 of E-Multiple Sclerosis Review, and thank you for your continued support. Over the coming months, we'll be reporting on some of the most important issues affecting patient outcomes, such as benign burnout MS in older patients and how to balance increasing immunosenescence with DMT-associated adverse events, and what the evidence says about how a patient's race and or ethnicity may affect their imaging findings and the course of their disease and the who, what, and where of non-pharmacologic approaches, diet, exercise, cannabis, and beyond, to improve symptom management. And of course, the newly approved and in late stage development, new pharmacologic treatments. But first, right now, we're here to talk with Dr. Joseph Sabatino about MS disease-modifying therapies and their effects on COVID-19 vaccination. Our first learning objective for today's discussion is to assess the impact of anti-CD20 therapies on COVID-19 vaccination immunity versus the risks of COVID-19 infection. So start us out in the clinic, if you would please, Dr. Sabatino, with a patient scenario. Sure. So to start off with, we have a 61-year-old male who has a history of primary progressive MS, as well as obesity, hypertension, and type 2 diabetes, who is now following up to review his MS treatment plan. And he was last treated with ocrelizumab more than a year ago, but has not yet received his SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. Okay, so over age 60, with MS, and with the common triad of comorbidities of obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. And right now, he's unvaccinated. What clinical considerations do you see as most important for a patient like this? In this case, the patient has primary progressive MS or PPMS. This is typically treated with ocrelizumab. However, it's important to keep in mind that the benefit of ocrelizumab and PPMS is quite modest. How modest? What does the data say? This is based on the results of a recent phase three trial by Maltobin et al. in the New England Journal from 2016 that showed that in PPMS patients treated with ocrelizumab, there was only a a 25% reduction in worsening of disability at six months compared to patients treated with placebo. 
Another consideration is that there are risks of ocrelizumab treatment, including increased risk of infection, such as COVID-19. And recent data indicates that there is an increased risk of, of hospitalization from COVID-19 in patients treated with ocrelizumab and rituximab, both of which are B-cell depleting therapies. Another important consideration are the patient's medical comorbidities, which in this case are quite substantial and further increases risk of serious COVID-19 outcomes. And finally, the last important consideration is the, the patient's willingness to complete a SARS-CoV-2 vaccination prior to resuming treatment. So because of his age, his comorbidities, his treatment with ocrelizumab, and because he's unvaccinated, this patient is at increased risk for acquiring COVID-19 infection. How would you address that with him when you're discussing his MS treatment options? Because of the increased risk of COVID-19 from ocrelizumab, I would strongly advise the patient complete SARS-CoV-2 vaccination prior to restarting ocrelizumab treatment. Well, his last dose of ocrelizumab, that was more than a year ago. Is that right? Correct. So I would first emphasize to the patient that his vaccine-induced immunity, in particular his antibody immunity, is expected to be near normal as long as he completes his vaccination prior to restarting ocrelizumab. And this is because we expect his B-cells to have reconstituted to near-normal levels since it's been more than a year since his last infusion. I would then review alternative treatment options to ocrelizumab, including the possibility of remaining off treatment. And if we were to do this, I would continue to monitor him clinically to look for changes in MS status. In addition, we would evaluate the ongoing status of the COVID-19 pandemic as the risk of treatment may reduce with time. We do have other MS treatments that we could consider. However, there are no other approved therapies that have been demonstrated to be clinically effective in patients with PPMS. And finally, I would recommend that the patient follow up with his primary care doctor to address his other substantial medical comorbidities. Let's suppose, uh, hypothetically, that this patient is not willing to receive the SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. Maybe he's worried about the risk of a bad reaction. Maybe he doesn't believe the vaccine is effective. Or maybe it's one of the dozens of other reasons people are refusing vaccination. My question to you, how would his vaccine refusal affect your treatment recommendation? First, I think it's always important to review and discuss the specific concerns that a patient is expressing and to elaborate on the risks as well as benefits of SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. If after this discussion, the patient is still unwilling to proceed with vaccination, in this particular case, I'd recommend that the patient not pursue ocrelizumab at this time due to the concern that the risks of treatment may exceed the potential benefits. And with that in mind, I would make sure to schedule near-term follow-up to review treatment considerations as well as vaccination plans as the COVID-19 pandemic evolves. We appreciate you bringing us this case, Dr. Sabatino. Let's return now to our learning objective, assess the impact of anti-CD20 therapies on COVID-19 vaccination immunity versus the risk of COVID-19 infection. What are the key things our listeners need to know? I think there are several important considerations. The first is that anti-CD20 therapies increase the risk of COVID-19 in MS patients who are unvaccinated. A second consideration is that antibody responses are substantially reduced following SARS-CoV-2 vaccination in MS patients who are already on anti-CD20 therapies. And finally, the risks of anti-CD20 therapies in the setting of the COVID-19 pandemic should be weighed against the potential benefits of those therapies. Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Joseph Sabatino in just a moment. The end of the year is coming a lot sooner than many of us have realized. Do you have all the CME, CEU credits you need for 2021? It's not too late to access the credits still available without charge from the recently completed Volume 3 of E-Multiple Sclerosis Review. 
Whether you need to know more about how to improve care for special populations like pregnant or postpartum mothers, or better understand the clinical challenges of managing pediatric patients with MS, or you want to review the evidence behind improving quality of life by reducing MS disease burden or increasing shared decision-making, or you want to see what the experts have to say about matching the right disease-modifying therapy to the right patient, you'll find it in the eMultiple Sclerosis Review Archive. Just go to dkbmed.com, that's Delta Kilo Bravo Med.com, type multiple sclerosis in the search box, and select a newsletter or podcast that interests you. All our MS programs are accredited for physicians as well as nurses and are provided without charge to access or to obtain credit. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or whatever service you get your podcasts, please review us because the more listeners we have, the more programs we can provide. Thank you. And now, back to our program. Welcome back to this eMultiple Sclerosis Review podcast. Our guest is Dr. Joseph Sabatino. He's from the Department of Neurology at the University of California, San Francisco. Our topic is understanding what we currently know about anti-CD20 DMT and COVID-19 vaccination. Let's turn now to our second learning objective. Explain the factors influencing the generation of a COVID vaccine antibody response in patients with anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody therapies. With that in mind, if you would please, Dr. Sabatino, take us back to the clinic with another patient scenario. So in this case, we have a 47-year-old woman with a history of secondary progressive MS who has been on rituximab for the past seven years. Her disability has been relatively stable, but quite high with an EDSS of 8.0. Her last rituximab infusion was five months ago, and she's eager to receive the SARS-CoV-2 vaccination, but she's worried that she's going to be at higher risk for contracting COVID-19. On rituximab, with a high EDSS, and wants a COVID vaccination, what are the most important things you'd want to discuss with this patient? So I would start by reviewing the MS-related risk factors that she has that could increase her risk of COVID-19. And that includes her ongoing treatment, her recent history with anti-CD20 therapy, as well as her high disability, which is a a risk factor for worse COVID-19 outcomes. Secondly, I would then discuss how her long-term rituximab treatment history is likely to impact her response to the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. Specifically, we would anticipate that she's not going to be able to develop a detectable antibody response, but is expected to have an activated T-cell response. And that being said, I would emphasize to her that we don't yet know to what extent she's going to be protected following SARS-CoV-2 vaccination while remaining on anti-CD20 therapy. So you explain that because she's been on rituximab, the degree of protection she'll likely get from a COVID vaccination is uh, really, it's unknown. What else would you tell her? So I would discuss the rituximab-related factors that impact SARS-CoV-2 immunity, and those include several factors. Such as? The total duration of treatment with a B-cell-depleting agent, the timing of vaccination relative to the last infusion, and the patient's B-cell levels around the time of vaccination. And in this patient? In this patient's case, it's been about five months since her last infusion, and she's been on a rituximab treatment for seven years. And because of this, it's expected that she will likely need a longer period of time for her B-cells to reconstitute before she can successfully generate antibodies to the vaccine. An additional important consideration is that the CDC now recommends that immunocompromised patients, including those who are on anti-CD20 therapies, that they complete a third mRNA vaccination to finalize their primary SARS-CoV-2 vaccination series. Uh, Excuse me, doctor. 
a third mRNA vaccination? Are we talking about the booster vaccination like so many people are getting now, or, or is this something different? This is something different. So in this case, we're talking about adding an extra shot to the initial two-shot series, and this is to be done at least four weeks after the second shot as part of supplementing a suboptimal vaccine response. And this is therefore distinct from the booster vaccine recommendations, which are typically recommended for select populations six months after the second vaccine. Thank you for that clarification, doctor. What else does she need to know? I would review the benefits and risks of continued rituximab treatment for her secondary progressive MS. Similar to primary progressive MS, there's likely little or modest protection for someone without a recent active relapsing history. Uh, with the same patient, Dr. Sabatino, let me ask you a hypothetical question. Let's say she tells you she wants to make sure she gets the most COVID-19 protection from the vaccine, and since her rituximab is likely to prevent that, she wants to discontinue it. So in this case, the patient could certainly discontinue her rituximab at any time. However, even if she were to get vaccinated five months after her last infusion with no further rituximab treatments, I would inform her that she would be expected to be only partially protected following vaccination. And that's because while she should have developed a robust T-cell response to the vaccine, her long-term history of rituximab treatment will likely suppress her ability to make an antibody response. And for that reason, I would recommend the patient proceed with the two-course mRNA SARS-CoV-2 vaccination now, but I would then discuss the timing of a third vaccine. Typically, this should occur at least four weeks after the second shot, but in this patient's case, because seroconversion is, is unlikely unless we have a prolonged delay allowing for her B cells to reconstitute, the option I would take in this case would be to periodically monitor her B cell levels in the blood and then proceed with a third vaccine once her B cell levels begin to appear. Thank you for bringing us this case, Dr. Sabatino. Let's wrap things up by returning to our learning objective, the factors influencing the generation of a COVID vaccine antibody response in patients on anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody therapies. What are the most important things our listeners need to know? So there are several important considerations here. The first is that a longer interval between the last anti-CD20 infusion and the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine will increase the likelihood of developing a detectable antibody response. Secondly, having detectable B cells in the blood also increases the likelihood of having a vaccine-induced antibody response in patients who are on anti-CD20 therapies. A third consideration is that the longer patients are on these kinds of anti-CD20 therapies, the less likely they are to develop positive antibody responses following vaccination unless adequate time is given for B cell reconstitution. That being said, T cell responses appear to be generally intact in patients who are on anti-CD20 therapies and therefore, patients who are on this type of treatment are expected to be at least partially protected following SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. Take the last word, if you would, please, Dr. Sabatino. The COVID-19 pandemic, what are the key changes in caring for patients with MS that clinicians should be most aware of? So I think it's important for all of us to recognize that the pandemic has led us to reconsider the care of patients with MS in several ways. One is that we need to be more closely considering the infectious implications and risks of MS therapies, both for COVID-19, but in addition for infections in general. I think also it's highlighted the importance of paying closer attention towards preventable infections such as the flu, varicella, and the timing of vaccination, in particular in patients who are on anti-CD20 therapies. 
And finally, because as people are more isolated and less active outside during the pandemic, which is increasingly looking to be a new normal, I think it's important that we pay closer attention to improving the physical activity and social connectiveness of patients in a manner that that is safe and, and balances risks. From the Department of Neurology at the University of California, San Francisco, Dr. Joseph Sabatino, thank you for participating in this eMultiple Sclerosis Review podcast. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to join you today. For eMultiple Sclerosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at eMultipleSclerosisReview.dkpmed.com. E-Multiple Sclerosis Review is supported by educational grants from Bristol-Myers Squibb, Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, and Sanofi. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. E-Multiple Sclerosis Review is copyrighted with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC. Thank you for listening. <laughs>